connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. I'd like to welcome all of you who are listening to today to Le Cadeau Podcast. Um, today, my guest is Cecile Carson. She's a friend who um, is originally from Louisiana and does a lot of work in the, f- the realm of healing. And uh, I just welcome you, Cecile, and thank you for coming. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So um, why don't you tell us either what you want to about your um, beginnings in Louisiana or your coming home to Louisiana? Oh, well, um, I grew up in um, about 50 miles outside of Lafayette and spent a lot of time in a tree Mm -hmm. uh, up in the branches reading and um, then I hung out under the porch. We had a hole in the porch, and it was, the house was up on piers, so I spent um, some time under the porch sitting on an old car seat and um, dreaming and imagining that I was doing some kind of way, some kind of helping work. It wasn't, okay. it wasn't a medical profession, but I would... Um, sit in the tree and dream about that, and I would be under the house dream about that. And then uh, I had a little red wagon, and I would um, not pull it. I would climb in it and get a long pole, and I would pole myself. That My red wagon became a pirog. I see. <laughs> <laughs> and I would pole it through the swamps and through the fog, and uh-huh. I would go, um, and, and I found myself... Um, helping people who were ill and I had a bag of all kind of interesting things to help them with so this was some of your childhood play that's right my child and I think I've been playing at it ever since all the way into my 70s now (laughs) and so your childhood play became education where did you get educated to help people well I um I had an aunt who was nurse and I had um advisors at school my aunt was saying you can be a nurse my advisors were saying you can be a doctor and I felt like um I didn't have a model for it as a as a young woman in the um early 60s there were no male physicians but I kept being drawn to science and drawn to being in service to help people and that's just been it's like been a compass point with me all the time and so I went and got a degree in medical technology and that didn't that didn't suit me and then I I did some research some of my um, medical work was in research at Southwestern Medical School and the people I was working for there said look girl you ought to go to medical school and I finally saw that women you could. There, that yeah, I could. That you that could, women right. were there, and they had families and a life, and they were doing medicine as well. So it, you know, things opened up, and that's what I trained in. And I also know about your family, that your family in Louisiana was big in education. 
Yes. And so after you had your training, you also did a lot of educating. Yes. I, um, after I finished my training uh, in my resident medical school and residency, I went to Rochester, New York <coughs> on a fellowship in mind-body medicine, which was probably the only training place in the U.S. at that time because I knew that that taking care of people with medication and diagnosis and um, surgery and things like that helped the mechanics of the body, but there was so much more to healing. And I was um, very committed to trying to understand how healing worked at all dimensions, mind, body, and spirit. Not, Not just in the way you were trained in medicine. Exactly. Wow. Okay, so then my other question is, when you were a little girl in Welsh, you were you Catholic? No, I was a um, I was a wasp. <laughs> we were we were Protestants in a predominantly Catholic community. How was that for you? Because you know I understand the 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 thickness of Catholicism, <laughs> and that historically we were. Uh, French colony and a Spanish colony, and, and those mm-hmm. were Catholic colonies, and that it was against the law to be anything but Catholic in Louisiana until the year of the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. I, wow, I didn't know that. Well, um, know, so my, how did your my, family come here? And well, my family um, somehow got got went different directions. Some of the family mm-hmm. um, were Catholic, and my godparents who lived across the street from us in Welch were Catholic (laughs) and I would go over there and they had rosaries and they got to when they drove by their church they made the sign of the cross and we drove by a church and there wasn't anything to do and so I found myself sort of having rosary envy Mm -hmm. I I wanted to have all the special things the rituals you saw and the rituals yeah so if your dad is a Carson what was your mom my mom um was a Romero. So Romero is Spanish, but that would be Spanish Catholic. Mm-hmm. Is the Corson wh- where... They've been, as far as I know, they've been Protestants. Okay, but what nationality is a Corson? Carson is Scottish. Okay. It's a family within the clan of McPherson. Well, you know, I always like to joke around, and so I say that I'm really... Scott Irish because I was born in Scott and raised on Irish potatoes. <laughs> but we have people from from Wales and and other mm-hmm. not French countries that have become mm-hmm. a part of who we are. Wow. Yeah. So what happened when you finished this mind body school? You were a doctor and then what did you do with your mind body stuff after you were already practicing as a physician? Well, it was kind of, as they say, kind of schizophrenogenic. I mean, okay. I had, I had, um, I was a really an oddball um, because the the special training I had in mind body medicine was at that time called a medical psychiatric liaison fellowship, and it was two years of training, and um, it was we we. We were primary care physicians. My my board certification is in internal medicine. So I was working in primary care. I was taking this fellowship, but I was doing mental health interventions with 
people with physical illness. So you're an internist Mm -hmm. working as a psychiatrist with physically ill people who have... Who don't have primary mental health disorders. Right. And so it was a a, a way to improve the skills of primary care physicians so that they could attend to the emotional needs of people who were coming in that that um, were, did not have mental health diagnoses, I mean, beyond some anxiety and depression. And uh, it was also working with the medical problems of the chronically mentally ill as well. So it was, a, it was an interface that was... Um, kind of multidisciplinary that, medicine. Right. Two right. fields. And it moved me into... Um, I trained at the University of Rochester Medical Center for mm-hmm. this fellowship and stayed was invited to stay on as faculty. So the natural next step was to teach as well as do primary care. And so where did you teach? I taught at that medical school. And what what subjects does one teach? Um I taught um uh, doctor patient communication um which included training in nonverbal skills, in um, compassionate, empathic, um, I'll say time-effective ways of working with patients, because even then the amount of time one had to spend with patients was uh, beginning to get encroached on. Right. So you were actually helping them have a a bedside manner with a purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so that bedside manner was not left... We were changing the assumption that a bedside manner could not be taught. You either had it or didn't, exactly. and that's not just not true. No. And all the um, <clears throat> all the research, the biopsychosocial research that's come out in the last few decades, really shows that you can um, you can teach these skills very effectively. And so, a huge part of my career was in academic medicine in teaching. Well, you know, as I'm just a person, and I know some doctors have good bedside manner and some don't, were you were you supported as you did this? I mean, that I think part of that is why I stayed up in Rochester for so long because there were um you were a pioneer. There, well, I was part of a small cadre of people who, with this training and this understanding and we were trying to teach it not only at the medical center there but through national organizations and institutions that were seeing the need for it Mm -hmm. so um so we were you know rochester allowed me to be part of birds of a feather rather than some odd duck flapping so you weren't fighting city hall over there you were um you were a pioneer. Well, some yeah. My mentor was more of the pioneer, and we um, we were the first groups of people that he trained to be doing this. So the pioneer got a place for you to continue the service. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. you know we're always on the edge of something. Yeah, yeah. And I think my my pioneering um, was more about. Um, tending to the soul, not just the emotions of right. the medically, people who were medically ill. It was, I recognized that even though I could help people with good coping skills and manage the 
some of the changes and anxiety and all, there was a whole healing piece that was missing. Right. And to and most of my um, teaching work began to be centered on how do how do we tend to the soul because illness does require a soul's response right and how do we tend to that without it becoming religious and getting pushback from the scientific community how do we articulate it name it work with it um, in ways that allow us to offer more complete care and healing right because I think everyone today knows that there's the body and mind and a spirit connection, which is what holistic medicine is all about. Mm-hmm. And so you were able to work on the soul part of that, that spirit part. Um, and I would guess that your first role as an internist, but working on the psychosocial needs, allowed you to have insight mm. as beyond just a medical doctor because you were also looking at what is psychiatry psychiatry rather does that incorporate emotion or a different illness or does that touch into the soul what is psychiatric well the care in in that way yeah psychi the um psychiatry has been trying for many decades to legitimize itself Right. And uh, be relevant and economically viable, you know, because you can't lie on the couch in psychoanalysis for 10 years. People can't afford that. There's not time for things. Right. And so psychiatry began jumping on the on onto biomedicine when they found out about neurotransmitters and brain amines and how mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, antipsychotics and antidepressants worked. They're they're. Psychiatrists became more uh, of biomedical technicians than they had ever been before. And in many ways, they started to, um, the psychiatrists started to pull away from the um, interpersonal skills and the, um, the prolonged amounts of time to spend with patients where they could address soul issues. So the biomedical connection that, that, became a part of psychiatry. Do you think that that allowed them to understand that mental illness is also a physical thing at that time? Well, I think it was part of... um, Psychiatry had been trying to legitimize itself for a long time, and Mm -hmm. so the the studies into um, the biology of... of, um, the brain and um, how can I say it? Stud like twin studies uh, and in in schizophrenia and some of the other things were ways of becoming more scientific right. as you delivered care in psychiatry, but which is great because there was a lot of the the primary care surgery, the non psychiatry disciplines, really sort of saw psychiatry as kind of second-class citizens. And sure. so this brought them more into the mainstream. The downside is that some of the uh, opportunities for healing within psychiatry, though a lot of those doors started closing, and um, psychiatrists became more bi- biotechnicians. Okay. I also know that in the 
reality of the world because I have been a psychiatric patient since 1969 that medicine was covered by insurance but not mental illness. Yeah. So there was some of this not only Well, and were, it also had a stigma. Right. I mean, there was not only were the, as you were saying, psychiatrists was, were considered second-class citizens. If you went to a psych hospital, the insurance, you were on your own. Mm-hmm. Insurance wasn't even supporting psychiatry at the time. And mm-hmm. I, you know, all of that is changing, but it's good to be able to, my experience in life and your experience and your training, the same things were in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were saying. So then when you, this gave you insight, but then again, my question is, the insight you received in having this position as doing psychiatry or serving in the field of psychiatrists as an internist, were you looking at your patients as of being able to address their soul, or were you looking at their emotions? Where were you at that time, if you can even say? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I could not deliver care, any more care than I could recognize and understand. Right. And so the soul um, aspects, oh, how can I say it? Before I moved to Rochester, which was 40 years ago, I had a dream, and in this, well, let me just back up. Before I left Philadelphia to come to Rochester, okay, um, I had, I had an experience of um, meeting and working with a psychic and healer who really opened my mind and my heart to a level of healing that I did not know was possible. And so as I began to understand that and work with it and all, until I could transform, I couldn't right. transform anybody else Understood. or talk about it. Totally, yeah. And you can't bring people where you haven't gone. Right. And so I understood that I knew a lot. It went, just before I moved to Rochester, I finished my residency. And just before I moved for the fellowship, um, I realized that I knew a whole lot about medical care and I didn't know anything about healing. Mm-hmm. And so just before I left to come study with my mentor in Rochester, I had this dream and there in this dream there was this long long beach, this beautiful white beach, and there were these two rainbows running along the the surface of these of this white sand headed toward the water. Wow. And and they were parallel. So, and and as they got to the water's edge, they began to converge. And in the dream, I could see that when they went under the water, they overlapped. And I I understood the the symbols, the imagery, to be these two tracks of biomedicine, biopsychosocial medicine, and the, um, and spiritual healing. I, I understood that this was a promise. This was a vision. And so when I went to Rochester, I could start to build on how do I bring the spiritual in? And so that was, um, you know, I, I jumped through all the hoops. I learned about how to help people with the emotions of illness and all at the, at the same time beginning to 
um, read and meditate and um, try to understand this other part. And you were actually connecting with your own soul as you had exactly. never been able to. Exactly. But then you had the the privilege of working in in a new way so that you were an internist doing psychosocial work, but that that was that's really great. How did you go from that to studying anthropology or working with an anthropologist? Or is that not the next step? The, don't let uh, me right. I, don't I, let me my familiarity <laughs> with you throw anything out of order. Right. Um <laughs> the um some well I'm related to Kit Carson, who yeah. is a famous scout. Yes. And along the way, I think my genes, G-E-N-E-S. Yeah, like <laughs> began, pioneering genes. Yeah, yeah. began yeah. vibrating and, say, and, and recognized that I was going to have to go outside of the field of medicine in order to bring this piece in. And so I studied all kinds of healing. I studied psychic development. I studied Reiki. Um, I studied therapeutic recreation. I studied dream work, Jungian kinds of things. And um, then was fortunate enough to um, have an experience with a, with a woman who was um, a psychologist and a shaman. And when and she told me about shamanism and as and I was this great big old hooty owl flew out of the woods and landed at my feet one sunny afternoon in a big cow pasture. And while I was thinking about shamanism and its inherent connection to spirit guides, and I just I realized that um, this was for me. And the pragmatist in me also um, got those genes vibrating inside of me because it it was, um, if you looked at it one way, it was really ooga booga. But if you looked at it in terms of the pragmatics of it, in terms of what are the what's the what's the spiritual methodology here that allows not only me, but something I can teach others to step into a larger aspect of who they are and what their soul is so that they can begin to get to know that deeper self. Um, And that's what, that was the great gift that I was given. And so I spent a lot of time training in shamanism and translating the weird words into something that didn't have to um, frighten people or get pushback from people. I got you. Now, what year was this that the owl came to you? Do you um, remember? The owl came in, I think it was the early 80s. Okay. Yeah. So, but you're... No, it was I, in mid-80s. I'm sorry. I see mid-80s. you having a position of privilege in being able to bring psychiatry into your internal medicine service and then when the owl came you understood that there was more to what you had been doing but you had already taken a step by integrating the whole 
mm-hmm. the whole psychiatric aspect yeah. with your internal medicine. So you were ready for the next step, like you had done the body, you had done the mind, and the next step is bringing the spirit. So I can see where your life readied you every mm-hmm. every step of the mm-hmm. way. And I did my own. I mean, you have to do your own personal work, too, sure, in yeah. order to um, do counseling or be there for others for emotion for the emotional support um you have to clear up your own blind side so i was in um i was in psychoanalysis for 10 years you know and um it doesn't doesn't make me a perfect person but it made me much more aware and um more grounded in in to be able to attend to somebody else you have to not get blindsided by your own stuff. Well, exactly. It gave you a readiness. It was preparation. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that because as a non-healer in dealing with cancer, I began dealing with mental illness long before. I mm-hmm. had my first psychiatric hospital in 1969. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I understand that I didn't know then that that was what I needed to do to become a healer, but I understand in retrospect that it was. And I'll never be a perfect person, but if we do our own work and clear out our own blocks and understand where we come from, then we have more to offer. We become a bigger hollow bone or maybe a larger vessel. Mm Yeah, yeah. Wow, so makes sense. So then what did you do as you followed your vision and you you had the affirmation from this person that you knew it was going to be bigger than medicine and you had to go beyond to the spirit? Um, Then what was the next thing? I want to ask you about Michael Horner, but maybe we're not ready for that. I don't know. I don't know. No, we're fine. Um, well, the I, I guess the fir- next thing I want to say is that one of the huge things about shamanism is the is finding out how, how can I say it? When you work shamanically, you're not working on faith. You're not working on belief. It's like what Carl Jung said. I don't believe in God. I know God. Mm-hmm. And so part of shamanism is um, connecting with helping spirits. And shamanism is about direct revelation. So you don't have the intermediary of the priest or the minister or whoever. Yeah. It's a gorulis. It's a gorulis. Guru, right. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of hard to say. Gorulis. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and and for me to recognize that um, I was not in all this alone, you know, the people who came into my life, the people who dropped in, the patients I was working with whose courage and insight sort of pulled me along in their strips, slipstream and helped me be right. Um, able to work from a larger model all of all of these things the owl that flew out um having um george engel my mentor in in um, biopsychosocial medicine having him take me under his wing and informally mentor me for almost 20 years wow 
I mean, I would go every two weeks and sit in his rose garden, and we would have tea, and we would have conversation. So all of these things, I mean, what what is a swamp rat from southern Louisiana doing in a northern medical school? There, you know, there was just all of these remarkable kinds of things. And so I feel that when we catch fire with who we are and what we're about, that there is a way that we are support if we know if we pay attention we we recognize that we're supported by a much larger order of things exactly and so um i feel like my next great teaching and mentor was michael harner you had mentioned okay, him yeah. earlier who was an who was who is an anthropologist who broke all the rules um he quote went native unquote and and used um he was in south america studying a shamanic culture and they he was wanting them to teach him and they and the the hibaro there said um the shuar is another name for them they said we can't teach you what you're looking for. You have to go directly to the spirits, and they will teach you. And so Michael was um, courageous enough to do that. And it was one of those experiences for him, like going through a one-way door. You can't ever go back to not having had those experiences. And so almost single-handedly, Michael brought... um, shamanism into western culture as an anthropologist he went all over the world and studied cultures and extracted from them what was common what was the what was the core process exactly um, even though the rituals and trappings and all were quite different Um, and and as michael as that got clear to him he began to teach that and called it core shamanism so so that allowed Westerners access to this direct revelation without having to spend 10 or 15 years apprenticing to an indigenous shaman in another part of the world. So, um, you know, and, and that's a mixed blessing because, yeah, uh, you know, Western culture tends to trivialize and commercialize things and and there's always that risk but michael was um i don't know that he was shunned but he was really put down within the the anthropology within the anthropology community and some 40 plus years later the um american anthropological society honored him with an award exactly for his work and as a student of anthropology he is well known today yeah, but it, but you, but being in the trenches, so to speak, at the time, he wasn't mm-hmm. doing it for that. Mm-hmm. He and was doing so it because it was his calling, right. right? And so his, the great gift that I received um, from Michael was not only training with him, <clears throat> but also with these core methods. Um, beginning to 
see how shamanism and the helping spirits began to adapt the forms. You kept the essence, but you could begin to adapt the forms into Western settings, and in in particularly for me, into Western medical settings. Wow. Wow. So um, it's just remarkable because, you know, the whole word healership isn't even in a dictionary as far as I know. Mm. But I think that we understand that everybody carries within themselves a healer. Mm-hmm. And we all have healership. It's like, if you can walk, you can dance. So we're all dancers, but we may not all be dancing. <laughs> right. So um, I came to my healership in a different way, but but we were introduced so you want to talk you weren't living here when we met right so you want to go to that you want to go there oh uh, yes i mean um, i was surprised <laughs> well actually it was a um local musician that um my husband knew and introduced me to up in rochester new york yeah where he was part of a um Rochester Cajun Zydeco Network, and they brought this <laughs> woman. It was uh, Yvette, Yvette Landry. Landry brought her um, up to Rochester because they had monthly dances, and they would bring bands from Southwest Louisiana up there. And um, he knew her, and when we came down here to visit, spend time with my family, and introduce him to Southwest Louisiana. We went to hear her play, and um, she was really so. Um, she was so welcoming, and and um, said when she found out what I did, she said, "Oh my gosh, I have to. There's somebody you have to meet. Her name is Becca Begno," and um, she said, "You two have a lot to talk about." And then, then we called, and we had coffee the next day, and I exactly. think we spoke two and a half hours nonstop. Exactly. So you listen to a musician. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So our teachers are not always in our field. So. And that's and that's the other thing. It's like these people when, when, when there's a ripeness inside you, the it calls some. It calls a response. Mm-hmm. Calls in a response, and so I really felt like the spirits were guiding us and exactly and then yeah. i remember you were still living in rochester and you came to visit and then you asked me to give you a ride to new orleans right <laughs> so do you remember what happened on the way to new orleans i well, played we, a cd <laughs> well yeah one we had a we had a um musician from S- southwest louisiana who was traveling through and raising money after katrina and um, and so our dance community hosted him and gave money for the project he was running. And uh, my husband and I sat and had conversation with him. Just a delightful guy. We um, and and um, as you and I were driving to New Orleans, you had a CD of his <laughs> in the car, and I said, "Oh, I know this guy. You know, his name is you know." His name is Drew Landry. Drew He's Landry. my son. And, and, you know, I was all excited and we're playing the music. And you say, I, you said, did you know that he was my son? And I just about 
you know, yeah. fell off the seat. So did I when you told me you knew him. And I remember you called him a bard. Right. And then I had to go look that word up. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, he is that. And yeah. it was just like, yeah. wow. So then we had this other, I, I met one of your um I don't remember what his name was, but in New Orleans, you had a wonderful visit. Oh, one of my shamanic teachers was visiting New uh, Orleans. Teacher, I didn't remember. If he yeah, was Myra a- Nishowski. Yeah. And um, and so we had time to together to spend with him and his wife. Now, I don't remember mm-hmm. when that was, n- not, nor am I asking you, but from that time until now, you uh, you moved here. And you bought a house, and you're moving in. Right. So this is like welcome home. Yeah. Who would ever have thought, huh? Well, I didn't even think it was possible to ever move back. I I didn't even let myself uh, long for it. Right. And my husband I met six years ago um, on Internet Dating, um, was part of this Rochester Cajun Zydeco network that I knew nothing about mm-hmm. um, and loves everything Acadian. And once he came here on our second visit, he said, would you consider ever moving back here? And this great upwelling of longing to be back, just he just opened a, a door on it and it all came up and wow. it's just been remarkable and and again it goes back to that soul issue of being held you know and we and we feel such an affinity for the community here because it has deep deep spiritual roots people really attend to each other oh my goodness yeah um yeah. so and we don't even have to be catholic no, to feel very much a part of this you never were. You never have to be. It's all good. Um, then my other question to you is that because I know this, that you had a school of shamanism, mm-hmm. and you had to release. So right. you had to do a lot of letting go before right. you could follow your your dream. You couldn't even own or a longing you couldn't even have until it was open. And that that had not that could not and that is never. It's never easy to say goodbye, but you have to say goodbye before you can say hello. Mm-hmm. So you know what you left behind. You left your school, you left your students, mm-hmm. and they can continue on in right. much how you continued on Horner's work. They'll continue on Carson's work. But do you know what you're going to do here? I don't know. It's my my sense is um, continuing to do one on one healing work, um, starting to teach shamanism here and seeing what the interest is, mm-hmm. and beginning to um, create opportunities for people to to find a method for direct revelation. Wow! Um, when you is, taught in New York. Did the people who come to study, were they from New York or were they from all over? They were mostly um, upstate New York people. Um, But, you know, I had people travel from Maine and Ohio and, you know, Carolina, the Carolinas and all. Um, But it was mostly for that area. And 
And one of the things that I had been trained to do by one of Michael's educators mm-hmm. was um, she started teaching teachers to go back and seed local communities because one of the downsides of a lot of the Western kinds of trainings and workshops is that you go somewhere, you have this great experience, and you come back to your, where you live, and nobody's there to, exactly. to, to build a community with. And so I've spent um, 20-something years building that community in Rochester and people you know, studying with me four and five years and um, bringing different cohorts of people through and so part of before I came here part of what I um, spent over a year doing was building a transition group and someone to train to be a teacher to take it further so you're coming back to the community of your of your childhood exactly and I was doing shamanism as a kid in that little red wagon I was poling through the swamps and the fog and the mist, and that is my in vision. English, my that's okay. <laughs> that's right in English, and that's that's the vision that has um, been alive and held inside of me f- for all my life. So you created community there, and now you're coming back to a community that has been growing since you left. Mm-hmm. So you're not coming back to an empty slate no you're coming back to what you understand is a wealth of um i don't know a wealth of spiritual people who Mm -hmm. never you know we didn't remain stagnant when you left as a child so you came back to a burgeoning something here and right i and i feel that um there is there's a richness and diversity of spirituality here that is is um, wonderful to be in the midst of, and and it's it's held. This this community is is held close to the land, right? It's it's a it's grounded in nature, right? Um, it's it looks out for for the humans in it. Um, the hospitality is a real the, thing. Exactly. It's not it a hospitality is. business. Right. Yeah, I see. All right. I mean, if we go to the grocery store, go to a new store, especially now since we move, we have to find all these places. And we go in the store and that we might walk out 15 minutes later trying to check out of the count, not trying, but going to check out. The person says, you know, hey, I haven't seen you around. Where are you from? Exactly. Where's your family? Where's your, and, We're related. Yeah. You know, the, the Native Americans, all our relations, uh-huh. we kind of live that, don't you think, yeah. mm-hmm. in, in some sense. So I'm so excited that you could come and you could share all of this and that you can be a part of this community again. Mm. And um, I just think it's exciting. Like, we don't know what we're going to do. But we don't have to know specifically right. just to be ready for it. So um, is there anything that you wanted to say in closing? Is there anything? No. No, I'm just feeling, I want to say how much gratitude I'm feeling for being here for this time to tell my story. Well, thank and to you. 
and for us to have some time together. And I want to thank Yvette Landry for telling me <laughs> yes. to come meet me. <laughs> and, yeah. and we met in Scott, you know, whoever yeah. would have thought. Right. A doctor from New York would come meet her friend from Scott. And then, <laughs> and now it's, uh, I think we're creating a new community, huh? Well, it's always, yeah, it's always evolving. Right. And, um, and I think it'll, you know, this is an, another facet of it. You know, bringing core shamanism. There's not a lot of Harner-ish Right. shamanism here in South Louisiana. And so I really, um, I feel excited to connect with people and, and you introduce know, it. People from all over the world come to festivals over here. Mm-hmm. So you can have people from all over the world come to learn shamanism with you. Yeah. And locals too. I mean, I've already seen people for shamanic work from Shreveport and New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's... Um, people will, people will travel exactly. to connect with something that they feel would touch their soul. Thank wow. you, Becca. Thank you, thank you, Cecile. Thank you for uh, honoring Kit Carson. <laughs> right, <laughs> he would be scratching his head, going, "What?" <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. Thank you for listening to Le Cadeau Podcast. I'm your host, Becca Begno. Matt Roberts produced the show. Thanks to AOC Community Media for the use of their facilities. For information about AOC, you can visit aocinc.org. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. The views and opinions expressed on this or any program on the AOC Podcast Network do not reflect the views and opinions of Lafayette Consolidated Government, Cox Communications, LUS Fiber, AOC Community Media, its board of directors, or its staff. To learn more about becoming a community media producer, visit us on the web at aocinc.org.